0: 1-381-4567, Or by emailing your questions or comments from CollegeView.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
1: And welcome into the Virtual Bible study for December 10th, 2009. My name is Jacob Gwyn. My father Greg Gwynn is here. Hello, Dad.
2: Jacob, great to be with you on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible study. We always look forward to this time together on Thursday night with a bunch of folks on the internet as we look to the Word of God and discuss what we think are very important subjects, the most important subjects in all the world, the things that deal with God, knowing His will, living for Him.
1: All right, and we're glad to study it with you, and we hope that you will join in on the discussion. You participate in the program by dialing 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. we pay the bill tonight. Or send your emails to questions at You can also chat with other listeners who are watching from Ustream.tv. If you're watching us from Ustream.tv, join in the chat room tonight. We look forward to hearing from you and your comments there. We can include those comments in the discussion tonight. So we look forward to hearing and from you've you. And you've
2: got information there on your screen about how to get into that chat room. And in order to participate in the chat room, you need to sign up for a free little easy-to-acquire account. And you don't even have to use your real name. You can use a, a pseudonym, if you will. And most of, most of our users do that, but some have their real name out to see. Eric has got his real name out there tonight. Uh, Anthony's in there. Sharon's in there. So we've got several people already in the chat room ready to go tonight. So join in there. Also, we're on Twitter and we send out updates on Twitter to remind you what we're talking about on the virtual Bible study each week. Uh, we are VBS questions. If you want to look for us on Twitter, look for VBS questions on Twitter.
1: If You want to join a group of Facebook people. If you're on Facebook, uh, there was an announcement that went out this week uh, on Facebook. Uh, well, people were invited to attend. So if you're listening, uh, you heard about us on Facebook. We're glad you're here as well. Any way that you found us, we're glad that you're here on the program tonight. We've got an important subject tonight, and we're talking about something totally fundamental tonight, Dad. We're not, uh, not going to get too deep tonight. This is something that is foundational to our, our faith.
2: Well, we can't get into some depth about it, but it is it is fundamental. I mean, it's, we're not talking about some higher theological concept here. We're talking about a basic theological concept that is the concept of God Himself and what He is really like and so forth. Let me read to you, Jacob, and to our audience the three questions I sent out earlier today to our update list. We always remind you if you want to get on our weekly update list, you can do so by just sending us an email questions at collegeview dot com. Put Put in the subject line, add me to the list, and we'll do it Here's the questions we sent out earlier today. Number one, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions about God that's what we're looking for because I think there are a lot of them. I think a lot of people have some really unfounded and wrong ideas about what God is really like. so what are your what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions about God that's number one number two. And this is we, we can spend just a little while on this. We don't have to spend a lot of time. But I think some people are confused. And I think it is a somewhat confusing question about God. Here's the question. How do you explain the Godhead? Specifically, how can we say that there's just one God, which it, that is, of course, what we say. There's just one God. But then we also claim that there are three in the Godhead, three beings in the Godhead. How do we, how do we explain that? That's a little bit confusing to a lot of folks. And then number three, is there anything that God cannot do? We always say God is all powerful, omnipotent. Sometimes we use the word to describe His all power. He and, and and someone might be prone to say there's not anything God can't do. Well, is there anything God can't do? We'll talk about that. That's that's, that's sort of a, a a little bit of a play on words, and we'll look at that too.
1: All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu dot com. Looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. These are. Uh, fundamental things to our faith and they're vitally important. The discussion about God and understanding his nature as it relates to us certainly is uh, fundamentally important. We need to understand the God that we're dealing with and we hopefully will get into uh, something that will help you on the program tonight. So join in on the discussion tonight. A lot of misconceptions out there about God, uh, Dad, in the world and uh, especially among religious people as ironic as that may be.
2: Let me start out with one that I think is a fairly common misunderstanding that
1: people have, and that's the
2: idea that God is sort of like a a kindly old grandfather. I don't know how many of our listeners had great relationships with their grandparents, but I remember my grandfather, we got along wonderfully. We loved to go fishing together, and although I wasn't the perfect child, he acted like I was. Just anything I did pleased him, he and and I think a lot of people, and of course, now I'm a grandfather, and I view my grandchildren that way. They're just special, They're, and and it's hard to see anything wrong about your grandchildren. And so a lot of people think that that's the way God looks at us. That God is like a, a kindly old grandfather, and He is just so thrilled with us that you know He 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 more is sort of sitting there uh, in heaven anxious with 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 you know a wide open mouth just in anticipation uh hoping for anything that we might do or any bone we might throw in his direction uh that's the way god is and of course that's just not true
1: absolutely not eric reynolds in uh fayetteville tennessee he's in the chat room tonight if you want to talk with eric he said i've heard some people say that god just wants us to be happy ultimately this is true But he wants us to find true peace and joy in him, not in just any path we choose. The common view is that everyone should do whatever works for them or makes them happy. This was the situation described in Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's not the kind of happiness God wants us to pursue. And so along the lines that God is sort of like a grandfather, if it makes you happy, then he's happy for you. He just just, wants you to be happy, and that's all that matters.
2: Uh, a lot of Bible verses tell us actually that it should be the other way around. We are the ones who are to be in awe. God is, God is not in awe of us. We are to be in awe of him. Uh, let me read a couple of passages. Psalm 98, verses 6 and 7 says, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Jeremiah 10, ten, but the Lord is the true God, He is the living God and everlasting King. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. And so uh, although God is a loving God, and we'll be talking about that certainly, God is a a God to be feared and respected. And you know it would be the wrong picture of God to think that He's looking down from heaven like a grandfather looks upon his grandchildren.
1: Absolutely. Now, what about the idea that Eric mentioned here—that God just wants us to be happy, like that grandfather? Uh, does God want me to be happy? I think there's no doubt that
2: God wants us to be happy. I believe one of our other emailers had commented about that. Uh, uh, let's see. I don't know if I, I, I may have misread that. Yeah, Jim, Jim in Mount Pleasant said. Uh, that he's happy to accept anything that we offer to him in worship. Now, he's talking about worship specifically, but that's along the same line. That God is just pleased with anything that we do. He's just excited and happy to have any interaction or response from us. And I don't see that in the Bible We at hear
1: all. it a lot when uh, maybe someone wants to uh, divorce uh, their mate without scriptural cause or wants to marry in a, into a relationship that is not scriptural. The common excuse is, well, God just wants me to be happy. God wouldn't want me to be sad or want me to be miserable. God does want us to be happy, but as Eric referenced here, God wants us to be happy in accordance with his word. God knows best how to, how we can make ourselves happy, not ourselves, and God wants us to follow his will, and the happiness that comes after that will be greater than any happiness we could come by doing our own will, but that's the kind of happiness that God wants.
2: Another thing that I see sometimes people do, Jacob, in in, in their view of God is that God is God is just sort of like Santa Claus, you know, that... He we only have to look to him when we want something that, you know, other other times we don't even have to think about him. But when we want something, we can go to him and expect that he'll quickly give us whatever it is that we want. And so he's just sort of like a Santa Claus. Now, we know that God is a is a good God and the giver of every good and perfect gift. James chapter one, verse 17 says but it'd be a wrong view of God and a misconception about him to think that his only existence is for the purpose of providing us with the things that we think we want.
1: Absolutely. It's not like some uh, Santa Claus, as you mentioned, or some kind of wishing well, that you just get whatever you want. And uh, that's the only time you need God. But a lot of people certainly have uh, that view when uh, this we see us a lot when someone gets sick, that no inclination towards God or doing his will. Normally, but when they get sick or a loved one gets sick, then they're they're, they're,
2: and, and that's the only time you hear them talk about God. You know, normal in their normal life, uh, when things are going well, they don't even think about God, much less talk about Him. But let them get sick or have a need, and then they talk about. Oh, well, they're praying to God. And God they're just sure that God
1: will, you know, take care of all of this for them. 877-381-4567. The phone line's open. Join in now or send your email to questions at collegeview.com.
2: You know, that's along the line of, of the idea that, that the, the, the the flip side of that, Jacob, is that some people view God as sort of a scapegoat. That uh, if anything goes wrong, they're quick to blame him. Uh, and and you know, you've heard people Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they had some terrible circumstance develop in their life. And the question they ask is, why is God doing this to me? And so they're actually using God as a scapegoat and blaming him if things aren't perfect and things aren't going exactly the way they should. Um, And that's a wrong concept of God, too. Psalm 31, verse 19, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Uh, and and so God does bless those who serve him but when things go wrong notice jeremiah 217 have you not done this to yourself by your forsaking the lord your god when he led you in the way you know it, it, all of the calamities in life ultimately can be laid at the cause of sin not necessarily our own sin but god is not the one who brought all the hurt and suffering and terrible things into this world either in general or in specific Uh, And I've always thought that when people want to blame God for bad things that happen, what they ought to do, if you really want to blame the one who's responsible for all the bad things in the world, blame Satan. Be mad at Satan because it was through his influence that all the bad things that are in the world got here.
1: A lot of people have lost their faith due to difficulties in their life, and they blame God and can't understand why God would do that to them. And certainly that is a uh, misapplication. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. I want to deal with one more
2: misconception that I see very commonly, Jacob, and that is the idea that God needs us. You know, that, for instance, if I was to go to worship services on Sunday, I just just better do that because God somehow needs that from me. He needs me to worship him. And that is a huge misconception about God. And if we didn't get anything else across in our study tonight, the thing that I hope At least, at a minimum, I hope what we can all remember is that God doesn't need us. There's not anything that we do that God is dependent up for. Uh, and, And the proof of that, I think, is easy. God existed for an eternity before there were any mortal human beings to serve him here on the earth or to worship him. And after this world is destroyed, God will continue to exist for an eternity without mortal human beings doing anything for him. God doesn't need us. We need God.
1: Um, and when Paul preached, go ahead. Dan Barker, remember we interviewed the atheist Dan Barker. That's one of the ways he ridicules God is how could this almighty creator of the world need uh, have such a fragile ego that he needs humans to worship him and serve him? What, what kind of God would that be? He, he ridiculed God because he has the understanding that if there was a God, that he would somehow need the worship that we could offer him.
2: And that's just wrong. In Paul's famous sermon on Mars Hill in the city of Athens, when he was addressing a whole host of idol worshipers, he taught them about the true God. And he said in Acts 17, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God doesn't need us, he doesn't need anything we provide. In Psalm fifty, beginning in verse 7, hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy even thy God. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. God says, if I needed something, I wouldn't come to you for it. You know, he's saying I don't need anything, but basically if even if I did, I wouldn't come to you expecting that you could provide what I need. God doesn't need us. And so it's a huge misconception of God to suggest that he does need what we have to offer.
1: All right, lots more to talk about in these misconceptions about God, but we're up against a break. When we get back from the break, we want to take your email or your phone call. We'll give you time during the break to get your thoughts together and join in the discussion on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
2: us in his word we realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps as a result what we think or feel doesn't really matter all that matters is what god has said so that's what the virtual bible study is all about it's pretty simple isn't it thanks again for joining us tonight and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every thursday night for the virtual bible study
0: computers are good for lots of things but there's no better way you could be using yours than to participate in the virtual bible study every thursday night can you think of a better use of your time Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program.
1: And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. If you're just joining us on the program tonight, we're talking about God and some questions about God. Right now, we're considering misconceptions about God. And so if you'd like to join in on the discussion, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or give us a call at 877 381 We're looking forward to hearing from you. And there are a lot of misconceptions. You know, we probably could have done a whole hour on this. We've got other topics that we want to get to, but there are numerous misconceptions. Yeah,
2: we're getting a lot of comments in the chat room. We've got several emails here we want to get to. But I had a couple of other things written down, Jacob, that I wanted to mention as I see as misconceptions about God. One of them is that God is somehow like a mean prison warden looking for a chance to catch us in a mistake or a flaw so he can punish us. That what he really delights in is some opportunity to just strike us down. And that that actually is why he gave all the rules that he gave, because he just wants to find some opportunity to condemn us. And and that's not true either. Uh, We've talked about this before, but one of the verses that I think is so powerful in the New Testament is 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. God will have all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. He's not looking for an opportunity to, to punish. He's really looking for an opportunity to save us. And that's what he wants to do. So he's not he's not some kind of a mean spirit, a hateful spirit that really hopes. What he desperately hopes is that he can catch us in the sake so he can just strike us down and send us to hell. That's not God. That's a misconception of God.
1: Closely related to that is the idea that God is some type of tyrant who in his infinite knowledge looked down on the earth and knew things that you would like to do, things that would be good for you, and he made a list of rules that said you can't do anything fun or you can't do anything that would be beneficial to you so that you would live a miserable life. There are a lot of people who are not Christians who believe that. Sadly, there are many people who would claim to be Christians who believe just that, that doing what God says to do will make them miserable.
2: Exactly right. We've referenced many times on the Virtual Bible Study Deuteronomy 6.24, which says the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. God's commandments, it always has been so. It was so in the Old Testament and it's so now that God's commandments are for our good. And he gave them because he knows what's in our best interest. He created us after all. Uh, the, The example I like to always reference about that is, for instance, drinking, drinking alcohol. Why did God... Make a prohibition on that. Why does he not want us drinking alcohol? Just so he could make a rule and see if we could keep it. I think the answer to that's obviously no. He made that rule because he knows nobody is benefited by doing that. There's no good that comes from it, and therefore he made a rule and just to protect us. You know that that's like when you were a kid, Jacob, and and as a father, I made the rule you can't go out and play in the street. I didn't make that rule just to be, to be mean. I did it because I didn't want you to get hurt in the street, right? And all of God's rules are of that nature. He made them for our well-being.
1: For our good always, and we need to view them that way, and that is a misunderstanding of God when we view his will and his instruction as being detrimental uh, to our well-being.
2: Um, and then one, one other thing that I had in my list, uh, and then before we want to get to some of these other good comments that are coming in, one big m- misconception about God, lots of people have it, is that God is like me, that he thinks like me that all of his ways are the same as my ways, and so forth. God is not a person just like me. Psalm 50, verse 21, you might want to note this verse. I think it's really strong. Psalm 50, verse 21 says, You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. In other words, the clear implication of that verse is, I am not a person just like you. And then the verse that's more well known is, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways. Your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is not just like us. He's not a person just like
1: us. Along those lines, Eric and Fayeville sends in this comment. Another misconception is that God expects us to understand the reasoning behind everything he asks of us. Many will only obey something if it makes good sense to them. If if this is uh, it is true that God says, "Come now, let us reason together," in Isaiah one verse eighteen, but God also expects total and absolute submission, whether or not we know the reasons why. His thoughts are not our His our thoughts, nor His ways our ways. In Isaiah fifty five eight and nine again, God's not like us. Therefore, I don't have to understand why He gave me the instruction. I need to know that His ways are better than my ways. That's right. Now. I think Eric
2: says, you know, lots of times God does explain the reasoning behind his instructions. But even if I don't understand, I need to have the faith and confidence that what God says is right and his way is the best way. And if I live by it, it'll turn out the best for me. Um, that 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 is a part of having faith in God, that what he tells me to do is best for me and I should do it even if I don't understand it. Now, I think, as, as Eric said, I think many of the things he tells us to do, we... We do have reasoning behind it, and he's explained it. But even if I don't get it, I need to do it.
1: All right, absolutely. If you've not joined in on the discussion now, join in with uh, other listeners here, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We do have numerous comments to get to. We'll try and include your comments out of the chat room tonight, too, if we can get to them, so you can include uh, your comments there.
2: Anthony in Columbia has said probably the most pervasive misconception is that God is a big, cuddly teddy bear that would never punish anyone. Many passages, such as Second Peter 2, verses 4 through 9, would put this notion to rest. Exactly right, Anthony. We we kind of commented about that. We said instead of cuddly teddy bear, we said some people picture God as a doting grandfather, but that's the same idea, and you're exactly right.
1: Here's one from the chat room. Dean in Louisiana says, Something I seem to be coming across lately is the idea that God is depicted differently in the Old Testament than in the new. In other words, it's not the same God that we're dealing with today that was condemning nations and punishing sin in the Old Testament. Certainly we are dealing with the same God today, and we need to understand that He is just as irate with us when we sin as He was with those in the Old Testament, and we will face just as stern a punishment for violating god's commands
2: over in first Corinthians, i think that's exactly right i think dean you're on the mark there exactly and and as a verse to back it up in in the new testament uh in first corinthians chapter 10 it talks about people under the old testament system talks about those who god brought out with moses from from egypt and it says in first corinthians 10 verse 5 but with many of them god was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as, some of them, as were some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so I think Paul's saying, we're dealing with the same God. And the things that God did to those people are are recorded for us so that we can learn from them. Now, if God is different under the New Testament era than he was under the old, we understand there's a different law but the nature of God is unchanged. If God's nature is changed, then, then Paul using the Old Testament people as an example would, be a, a, a com- would completely miss the, the, the
1: mark. Absolutely. And certainly it is the same God that we're dealing with today. And uh, the Old Testament is for our learning. If, the, if God changed between the New Te- Old Testament and the New Testament, then why have the Old Testament there for our learning? It doesn't do me any good because we're dealing with somebody else that I don't know anything about. Exactly. So thank you for those comments, Dean.
2: Uh, i 've got Jack on an email from Hampshire, Tennessee a misconception about God is that once you become a Christian, God will solve all your problems you know that's that 's almost like a mercenary view of God. If I serve him then then everything will be perfect and God never it never said that everything in this lifetime will be perfect for Christians. In fact, the history of god 's most faithful people through all ages was that they often suffered
1: very hard things in order to be faithful to god all right along those lines master of none in the chat room says uh... that uh, one misconception is that bad things don't happen to truly godly christians he says see second corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty four through twenty six five times i received from the jews the forty lashes minus one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked i spent a night and day in the open sea uh... talking about paul and so it is a misconception then that god will keep bad things from happening to good people but a lot of people View that if you live a godly life, you do all that you're supposed to do, then God's going to put up a shield around you where nothing will happen.
2: Uh, <clears throat> a couple of verses that Jack used to justify his position here, which I think is exactly right. God doesn't promise to solve all our problems in this life. First Peter four twelve and thirteen, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed becoming a christian jack says means giving up uh, oh oh this is an, another misconception i'm sorry i didn't see how this was this is what you were talking about a minute ago jacob becoming a christian means giving up all fun and following a life of rules we just talked about that god's rules are for our good not just because he wants to be mean jack uses romans 14:16 through 18 there
1: All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. We're getting great comments tonight, and we want yours to be included in the list if you've not included it already. So let us know your thoughts on the program tonight.
2: Uh, Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, sends in just a a verse reference from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, "'For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed.'" That's in reference, no doubt, to that point that Dean was making in the chat room, that some people think God is different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you, Arthur. We have some comments from Sharon. Sharon's in South Carolina, I believe. That's right. Uh, She says that uh, one misconception about God is God's a loving, caring, merciful God. Therefore, he will not send anyone to hell. Uh, We commented on that, that God is not... Uh, just so yeah uh, she says the first it.
2: part is true god is loving caring and merciful
1: that's true she says the first part of that statement is true the second part's not that he will not send anyone to hell absolutely he uh, she also says god performs miracles today is a misconception god uh we do not believe god is performing miracles today god is still active in the world today and he still is uh ruling in the affairs of men but he is not uh doing so i've miraculous. been in an
2: email exchange with uh, our friend Aaron in Texas on that question of God doing miracles. And he says a more accurate way to state that, because he, he he's of the opinion that we couldn't say definitively that God might not do something miraculous, you know, that we were not aware of. He, he, he is, he's arguing and, I, and I'm, I'm coming to his position on this a little bit that we, we can more accurately say God does not empower any man to work miracles today.
1: Uh, okay. All right. But God is God. Is still working. In God way. is working. That's, See, wait, wait,
2: our, our discussion, our email discussion so has been – I answer. use the word providence. And yeah. he, he's saying that I may not be able to prove it's providence and not miracles when God does something in answer to prayer or whatever. But but we can agree, and I think it is an accurate statement, that God is not empowering anybody to work – any humans to work miracles.
1: Today. Okay. All right. Just sharing ads uh, that another misconception is that God will set up an earthly kingdom, that God's interested in somehow setting up an earthly kingdom. That's a very prominent uh, yeah. misconception. Yeah. Uh, God accepts anyone's worship as long as they're sincere. Now, that's another uh, one that's very prominent. Uh, that it, if, it, if it works for you and you're sincere about it, God will be happy with you. Right. Uh, if you call it worship, then go for it. God's going to like it, and God will just have to take whatever you give Him, and He'll be happy about it. Yeah. Uh, okay. It doesn't work when I sit down to dinner, does it? Uh, you know, you go to a restaurant and they bring out something and they say, "Here, here's what you're going to eat." Well, that's not what I wanted. It's not what I ordered. You send it back to the kitchen and say, bring out what I ordered. Well, God's done the same. He's told us what he wants, and we're not gonna, he's not going to just take it because we give it to him. All right. Uh, God is a God of tolerance. It is the last one that she sends in uh, that, that God will just tolerate anything you want to do, and uh, he'll be happy with
2: it. That's right. And, there's no, and that's not true, and it's not a true picture of God from the Scriptures. She sent an addendum to her email. She says another big misconception about God is predestination. Some go so far as to say he predestines everything we do, everything that happens to us each day. She says a neighbor once told me he predestines the pencils she wrote with and the change in her pocket. And so I agree. God God doesn't have everything all mapped out in our life. We are free moral agents. We can choose what we will do.
1: Okay, it's time for this week's bullet point, and the comments continue to come in. So we would encourage you during this break to join in on the discussion, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. We'll get this week's bullet point, and we'll continue the discussion on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this.
0: Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg
2: Gwynn with this week's bullet point. I've made up my mind. I am determined to be happy. Enough of this sadness. Away with all this discouragement. I'm finished with dejection, depression, and despondency. No more gloom and doom. I will be happy. Now, what do I need to achieve my goal of happiness? If I'm truly to be happy, I'll need money and plenty of it. And I must have friends, the kind that never fail and always act just like I want them to act. And of course, success is important. I'll need to have unlimited success in every endeavor that I undertake to do. And also my family. My family will have to behave perfectly and they must respond immediately to my every whim. Surely with all of this, I can be happy, right? Wrong. The wise, powerful, famous, and wealthy King Solomon sought after happiness through every avenue known to man. The end result was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11. Now contrast Solomon with Paul, who lost his wealth, gave up his fame and power, and ultimately suffered extreme persecution and imprisonment. Yet he could write, quote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Philippians 4, verse 11. How could this be? Verse 13 explains, he said, quote, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It is on this basis that Paul instructs us, quote, Rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. True happiness is not found in external things. It comes only from faithfully serving God, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14.
0: Are you happy? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study.
0: For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues.
1: Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad that you're a part of it. If this is your first time listening to the virtual Bible study, thank you for finding us. We hope that you will make the virtual Bible study a regular part of your Bible study routine throughout the week, and we would remind you that you can go to our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com to find archive recordings of every program that we have done over the past four-plus years, uh, hours and hours of Bible discussion out there on a wide variety of topics.
2: In fact, probably on the order of almost 250 hours. Oh, that's a lot of hours. Yeah.
1: And so uh, you can find, certainly... Uh, hopefully some helpful teaching there for you. If you are interested in any Bible subject, uh, go out to our website and uh, do a search and see if you can find a program that may have talked about uh, your question. Or if you have a question that we have not discussed, send it anytime to questions at We can include it in a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. But thank you again for being a part of the program tonight. We'd like your questions or your comments on the program tonight at 877-381-4567, CollegeView
2: Jacob, we're getting tons of comments in the chat room, uh, and we just can't, we can't monitor them all, so if you're chatting there and we don't get to something you said in the chat room, uh, don't, don't take offense. There's some that. discussion
1: right now about God wouldn't send anybody to hell, and that's, yeah. uh, certainly a misconception we've talked about.
2: You know, the, that is, I, that would be, that'd have to be ranked real high up on the list of misconceptions about God. God is such a loving God that he could never punish anybody. Uh, um, and I really think that anybody who would take that position surely has never read the story of Noah in, in the book of Genesis. When he destroyed the entire world and all the population of the world with the exception of Noah and his family because of sin. Anybody, I mean, that's God. That's our God. That's the God we're dealing with. And any, anybody who says that God is too loving to ever punish anybody does either doesn't believe that story of Noah or is not considering it when they reach that conclusion
1: you know we need to get to the next topic but here's another one that just came into the chat room that's good god will accept all of us we're just on different paths to the same god that's a very common misconception just as wrong as any of (laughs) others.
2: all right we had a second question jacob the second question that we put out there today was how do you explain the godhead specifically how can we say there's just one god but also claim that there are three beings or three persons in the godhead well let's start out Jacob, by affirming the truth that there is just one God. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. James t- James chapter 2, verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And so... Let's be sure that everybody is clear with our position on this. We believe in one God. We believe there is one God. Now, the scriptures go on to say that three beings uh, share this nature or quality of deity. There are three distinct personalities that share the qualities, the nature, uh, so forth, of deity. And Jack in in Hampshire, Tennessee, has mentioned an argument that I think is a good one from Genesis 1. God is referred to by the name Elohim, which is a Hebrew name, and is plural. He says, that may not prove the Trinity, but it definitely points to more than one person in the Godhead. There was no other logical reason to choose a plural name. As such, we're not surprised then to hear him say a short time later, let us, plural, make man in our plural, image, Genesis 1, 26. John reiterates this truth when speaking of Jesus. He declares through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, John 1, verse 3. Clearly Jesus was present and involved in the act of creation, yet Genesis 1, 1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. I think Jack is is right on the mark there, and that's a good argument from Genesis 1, verse 26, when God said, Let us make man in our image. Well, who was he talking to? Did he have a mouse in his pocket or what was the deal there when he's saying, let us make God in our image? If, it, if, if he was alone in that, if he was the only being present, he was said, I will make God in my image.
1: If there are not multiple beings in the Godhead, then um, I don't mean this to be irreverent, but God would be schizophrenic, right? He's talking to himself and uh, he's, got, he's got some issues there.
2: Yeah and and after the fall after Adam and Eve had sinned in Genesis chapter 3 verse 22 the Lord God said behold the man has become as one of us to know good and evil and, and he didn't say man has become as I am he said man has become as one of us again in the plural so from very early on in Genesis we we get the idea of this plurality of the godhead multiple beings now there is one God. I think maybe, and I don't know if this is a real adequate way to express it or not, but it's sort of like what we might say that there's there's one man, and when we mean that, when we say that, we mean there's one mankind. There's one human type. We are all one in the sense that we are all share all humans share the same qualities or characteristics of humanity. What makes a man a man? what makes a human a human, we share those attributes or those characteristics. And so you might say it is not grammatically. It maybe sounds a little peculiar to us, but we might say, and that would be our meaning if we said there's just one man or there's just one mankind or there's just one. One small
1: step for man, one giant step for mankind. So
2: so Neil Armstrong on the moon used that concept when he made that famous statement. And that's what we mean when we say there is one God. There's one divine nature or quality. There are three beings that possess those attributes of the deity.
1: I'll make a note uh, that if you're in the chat room tonight and you're not logged in, we are now able to turn the moderation off, and so anyone can make a uh, comment in the chat room. You don't have to have a username now, so uh, we've opened they let it wide us do, open.
2: I, I don't understand that, but occasionally
1: they let us do that. It's a little buggy. It doesn't come all the time like it should. But, but now you don't even have to have
2: an account jump in there. Boy, this could get crazy in the chat room. You all behave yourself in there. We're not moderating that chat
1: room. So. Yeah, we're, uh, we've opened the doors wide open, so join in with other listeners. And uh, while you're chatting, uh, pay attention to what we're saying, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah. One of the pl- best places, I think,
2: Jesus, Jacob, where we can see these different beings of the Godhead is when Jesus was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, beginning verse 16. It says, Jesus, there's the Son, Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and the, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's there's, all three beings of the Godhead are manifested in that single episode. Jesus, the son, is being baptized. The spirit is descending as a dove from heaven. And God, the father, speaks from heaven. And so there's a good example
1: of them, all three in action. All right. We've talked about this in other places. Uh, The the Bible refers to all three uh, beings of the Godhead as deity in different places uh in uh in the scriptures.
2: Let me give us uh, some more examples. Mark thirteen, thirty-two of that day and hour knoweth no man know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. There was something the Father knew that the Son didn't know, didn't know. If they were if there were just one being, how could how could one part of one being know something but the rest of that being doesn't know that? They're obviously distinct beings as is indicated there.
1: All right. First Timothy two verse five, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. Uh, the man Jesus Christ. So again, God the Father
2: and a mediator between God the Father and man is Jesus. That obviously indicates that Jesus is a separate being from God, mm-hmm. or else he couldn't be a mediator between us and God.
1: You know, this is combating a common thought uh, that uh, some in the religious world have that uh, God is just one, and that he represents himself and presents himself as different uh, in different forms in the Old Testament. He was the Father. In the New Testament, he was Jesus, and I believe in the, in the current age then, he is revealing himself as the Spirit. Uh, some Pentecostals, I believe, believe uh, in, that, in that position.
2: I think Jesus uh, uh, makes a real strong case to prove multiple beings of the Godhead. In John 8, beginning verse 16, Jesus said, Yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. That, that statement that Jesus makes there is absolutely senseless if, the God, if there's only one being in the Godhead. Jesus was arguing the witness of two, two witnesses prove a thing to be true. It was, that was the way the law, the, uh, the law of Moses was written. Two witnesses make a thing true. Jesus said, "I'm one witness, and the Father is the second witness." But if they're the same being, if there's no distinction between them, the argument that he makes there is is just meaningless.
1: Eight seven seven three four five six seven. We got any good comments the email questions at Plenty of comments here. Don't uh John sixteen is a comment speaks where Jesus speaks of the Spirit coming from the Father um eric comments uh, first corinthians 8 verse 6 yet for us there is one god the father for whom are all things and from for whom all exist and one lord jesus christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist
2: eric mentioned in an email that he sent earlier he says i think we have to acknowledge up front that the idea of the godhead is a difficult concept perhaps impossible for us to fully grasp grasp we can only work with what God has revealed to us about Himself in Scripture. And I think that's true. But you know, actually, we use this concept of multiple people being one. And 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 the Bible does. For instance, if you're going to ask the question, how can three be one? How can three beings of the Godhead be one God? Well, think about the relationship of husband and wife. Even in Ephesians chapter five, verse thirty one. It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Well, that's just talking about the complete unity of the marriage relationship. Two become as one. We understand that. Husband and wife become as one. We don't think that they're one being, but they are completely united in in all aspects. Um, Paul and Apollos in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 6 through 8, he said, Paul said, I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Well, were Paul and Apollos the same person? No. But Paul says they were one and that they were completely, perfectly united in their, in their goals and purposes for the kingdom of God.
1: Now, there's a passage in here uh, from an anonymous chatter tonight in the chat room, uh, John 14, verse 28. And this is one that those who do not believe in a Godhead like to use, specifically the ones that I've talked with in the past, the Jehovah's Witnesses, like John 14, verse 28, where it says, "Ye have heard how I said unto you, I will go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, For my Father is greater than I. And uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses use that to say, well, see there, Jesus isn't deity, that only the Father is deity, and Jesus is saying that the Father is greater than him, i.e., Jesus is not deity, but the Father is deity, therefore he's greater than him.
2: I don't believe that. I think all the arguments that we've made about the deity, the shared deity of Father, Son, and Spirit are true. But there's no doubt that Jesus was submissive to the will of the Father.
1: And he does – There just because uh, – I, I can make the same statement. My Father is greater than me. Or I could say President Obama is greater than me. But you're bo- it doesn't mean you're less
2: human. Look, that, I, I, I'm ever a bit as much human as exactly. he is, but he holds higher rank or office yeah. than
1: I do. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, certainly that uh, does not show that Jesus is not God. I don't think the, necessarily the chatter was – indicating that in, uh, with this comment, or maybe maybe you were. If you were, you can clarify. Uh, but it is a passage to misused
2: at times. Uh, Arthur from kalioka sends in Romans 11, 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them that fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue his goodness, the otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. Oh, I think that goes back to previous discussion about God the being too good of a god to punish anybody
0: we are
1: uh, up against another break and when we get back we'll continue the discussion lots of things to talk about in the chat rooms wide open you can comment without a username tonight so join in with the discussion there lots of good discussion going on we'll take a break and then we'll go to the top of the hour the virtual bible study continues right after these messages
0: these guys are doing all of the talking we need to hear from you call in now the virtual bible study continues right after this Hello. Hey,
1: Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night?
0: Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find that it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. Welcome
1: back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We are talking about the misunderstandings about God and some questions about God, uh, and we've talked about a couple of different topics. And we've got about uh, less than fifteen minutes now to take the third question that we had posed for consideration tonight, and that is some things that God cannot do. We talk about God's uh, power and the fact that He is omnipotent; that He can has all power. But in spite of that, as uh, is, is, is contradictory as it may sound, the scriptures tell us there are some things that God cannot do.
2: Yeah, you know, we might introduce this but you know, there's this old argument that that doubters and skeptics try to pose about God, where, wherein they say, well, if God is all powerful, can God make a rock big enough that even He can't move it? You know, and and so they try to pose some kind of unsolvable dilemma to us and that's not what we're talking about here when we say are there things that god cannot do that's a, that's foolishness that's a that's a silly question uh, but there but i believe it is a legitimate question to ask are there some things that god cannot do and i like the way that uh jim and mount pleasant put it let me see if i can find his email here uh, he says he gives some examples but here here's his bottom line God has established a standard, and he will not violate that standard for anyone. Um, And Eric has written, it is not that God is unable to do certain things from the standpoint that he lacks the power to do it, but because God always acts in accordance with his perfect nature, there are things that he will not do. I think that's a good way to state
1: it. I think Jim is in the chat room anonymously tonight. He says, thanks, Greg. I thought it was pretty good referencing his comments. <laughs> oh,
2: so now we know who you are, Jim, okay. in the chat room. <laughs> and uh, we, have, we
1: have another listener here about your question about would God make a rock so big he couldn't move it. He says that's a dumb question. So yeah. uh, certainly it is uh, foolish.
2: All right. So what about, what about are what are some of the things that God cannot do or will not do i may, maybe that's a better way to say that some things that god will not do he will not do anything that is contrary to his nature and therefore i think uh several have mentioned that from titus chapter one verses one and two god cannot lie now that's because it is against his basic nature it is not in the nature of god to lie god cannot lie and i think several of our emailers have mentioned that one in close conjunction with that, we would there are a couple of verses that say God cannot forget his promises. Second uh, Peter three, verses three through seven. God can't break his word once he has said something, he's going to follow through. In in Matthew chapter five, verse eighteen, Verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. John 10, verse 35, the Scripture cannot be broken. If you want to know how careful God is to fulfill everything, he says, notice that Jesus used the expression, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. My understanding is the jot and the tittle were the smallest strokes of the pen in in writing the Hebrew alphabet. And Jesus is saying God will keep his promise so perfectly that he won't even let one little stroke of the pen
1: be violated He's going to do what he said. That's right. He cannot violate his word. He cannot go back on his word. And uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, tell us something else. I think another one of our listeners uh, brought this one to mind to light. Uh, Sharon, I think Sharon Sharon did. did. And that is, God cannot tempt men to sin, according to James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. There's another thing God can't, be tempted, can't do. He can't be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Exactly right. So God, God can't tempt us because he doesn't know what it's like to be tempted himself.
2: So uh, again, this ties in a little bit, Jacob, with what we were saying earlier. When people blame God for bad things coming their way, why did God do that to me? As though God is God is the is the one who is putting things in their path to cause them, uh, you know, some kind of stumbling block or or uh, obstacle to to their living. God, James says, God didn't do that. You know,
1: it's like uh, you. Know, I like uh, a nice piece of cake, and so. I know what a, a good piece of cake is like. So I, if I wanted to tempt you with a good piece of cake, Dad, I would know what to do. But I don't like uh, anchovies. And so if I wanted to tempt somebody with anchovies, I wouldn't know how to do that because I don't know what a, how to, what a good anchovy is and how to, how to present that. God doesn't tempt us with evil because he's not tempted himself. It's okay. beyond his ability. Okay.
2: Uh, l- let me cover the rest of the things that Sharon mentioned in her email. She mentions God cannot lie. God is truth uh numbers twenty three nineteen God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of man that he should repent he cannot do anything sinful or evil, and he cannot fail to keep his promises isaiah forty six verse ten and he cannot save without the shedding of blood hebrews nine twenty two without the shedding of blood is no remission um, uh, that's that's uh, something we 'll get to here in a minute about the god 's plan for our salvation. Uh, and he's not going to change that. He doesn't change the plan. Once he, once he puts out there a, a plan for us to live by, he's not going to change it on us.
1: All right, 877-381-4567. Plenty of time to take your call or join with an email tonight uh, before the program's over as we talk about things God cannot do.
2: Here's something interesting, Jacob, from Jim, from that email that Jim sent. He, he's got a lesson he preached on, on this question, things God cannot do. He says he got it from a book entitled, A Hundred Things That God Cannot Do. That, I don't know. I don't know if I could come up with a list of a hundred things. You'd have to, I, I guess you'd have to break that down in pretty fine detail. But from that, Jim says he preached along these lines. There are a number of things God cannot do. He cannot save one outside the body of Christ. No, you gotta be in Christ to be saved. He cannot hear the prayers of sinners, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Uh, I, I might, I might qualify that just a little bit. Because somebody is sure to throw up the case of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, where it says his prayers came up as a memorial before God. I think that God... The, the, the only the only response God might make to a prayer is one who's seeking truth, as in the case of Cornelius, but I think it is generally a, a true statement. Eric
1: referenced a passage in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, yeah. the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face so that he does not hear.
2: Yeah, and that's the same one that Jim mentions, Isaiah 59, verse 2. Yeah. And he cannot lie. Jim says he cannot lie from Titus 1, verse
1: 2. You know, Jim, as he has already noted in the chat room tonight, is good, so he probably could come up with 100 uh, things that God could do. Uh, If anybody could, Jim could Jim's do it. Jim's good. Yeah.
2: yeah, if anybody could do it. All right. Uh, and uh, Anthony says, God cannot forgive unrepentant sinners, uh, which is true. I mean, read, read through all the Bible. And one of the things that's true about God is that he, he has always demanded repentance for when we sin. before we, Now, he can forgive us, but we have to seek that forgiveness through repentance and God doesn't save without repentance. And Anthony also mentions God cannot cannot tolerate sin or allow it in His presence, um, which is a strong thing to understand. Um, that God doesn't that, that that sin is is a sickening abomination to God. It's, it, it, he hates sin. We need to understand that He can't tolerate. He's not going to He's not going to be pleased with us or or shine His favor upon us. When we continue to sin and won't repent of those sins.
1: All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, about five minutes to go. Would ask you a favor if you're in the chat room tonight. You don't have to identify yourself, but maybe uh, since you can uh, comment without a username, all you need to do is go to the place where you enter in a comment. Enter in where you're listening to us from tonight. It would be interesting to to know where you are? Yeah, just put it in your city. Just put it in your city, real quick, your or, your, or your country if you're from a, from abroad. Other listeners here would like to know who's who's out there and where you're listening from. So uh, let us know where you are. There's a listener from Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, in the chat room tonight. Um, let's go on. Let's talk about this
2: while we get some of those responses on location from different listeners. Um, one of the things that we have now, since God has given us His final revelation in the New Testament. We could say about God that God cannot and won't change his plan for us. Jude verse 3, Jude's, uh, the New American Standard Version says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, it's a, it's a permanent, a final uh, message of God. He's not going to change his plan. He's not going to save by any means other than Jesus. That's a big question in the world today. And we hear even religious leaders who are off on this who say that, oh, you could come to God by being a Muslim or you could come to God by being a Jew. And being a Christian is just one of the ways that you might approach to God. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. He's not going to save. God God can't. God won't saved by any means other than through jesus jesus said in john 14 6 i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me
1: all right uh, so we cannot uh, be saved without christ and we cannot be saved without obedience
2: in hebrews 5 verse 9 he's the author of eternal salvation to all them who obey him so we got we got to obey to be saved he won't save without obedience but he won't refuse to save anybody who does obey uh, anybody who obeys John 10, verses 27 29, God will save.
1: And uh, one thing that is beneficial to us, and that is that God cannot remember sins once they've been forgiven. Uh, that's impossible for God to do. He says he 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 won't do it. In Hebrews 10, 17, 16 and 17,
2: he says, Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Arthur sins in John 8, 24 where it says, Jesus said, "I say therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins." So, so again, along the lines that He won't save any by any means other than Jesus. Uh, and I think that pretty well covered our emails. Uh, we get a lot of chats in the in the chat room. Where where are people listening from tonight? All
1: though? right. Uh, if you have not uh, sent in your location tonight in the chat room, why not uh, just type that in uh, in the chat room? You don't have to be logged in. Anyone can do it. Uh, we have listeners tonight uh, from Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, Orangeburg, South Carolina, Fayetteville, Tennessee, Jennings, Florida, uh Kentucky, Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, certainly some others. Uh, that can send in your location, if you don't mind, before the program is over. Uh, here we have one from Swartz Creek, Michigan. Swartz Creek, Michigan. Uh, right. I imagine it's snowy up there, too. Oh, man. I bet it is. Yeah. we probably can't
2: see the creek anymore. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're out of time, and I think we've had a good study. And In fact, I see someone in, chat, in the chat room suggesting maybe there's a listener from Cullioca, Tennessee. A lot of people won't know where Cullioca is, but we do. Uh, uh, it's been a good topic, and I'm seeing some suggestions that it's worth discussing further, so maybe we will in a future broadcast, Jacob.
1: All right. Uh, certainly a good discussion tonight, and excellent comments from our listeners, and appreciate uh, those good comments.
2: Yes, thanks to everybody who's been listening. We hope you'll make it a regular appointment to be with us on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. I've, I've suggested several times I think it's worth doing. If you, Because I talk to people every once in a while, Jacob, and they'll say, oh, I just forgot to tune in. I forgot about it on Thursday night. Put an alarm in your cell phone. Most people's cell phones let you make an alarm. Put in a weekly alarm to to notify you at this time every Thursday night, and that will remind you, go get on a computer. And as we also say, Jacob, use your computer for something good.
1: All right. Thank you for being a part of the program. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks, Jacob. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.